and corn rigs are bony. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Fear Response Podcast. Where mental health and horror meet. I'm Jenna, and I am a registered nurse with a certification in psychiatry. Yes, and I am John, and I am a trained therapist and now oversee a group of youth counselors. And we're siblings. And we're siblings as well. And uh, that's our whole resume. And (laughs) (laughs) today we're here to talk about a super, super fun movie from 1973, the original Wicker Man. Back to the 70s, the decade that we seem to be sticking in and around a fair amount. The 70s ruled for horror movies. That's one of the reasons. Yeah. Um, But yes, this is the original Wicker Man. (laughs) Not the Nicolas Cage version. Not to be the Nicolas Cage version. No. They seem to be pretty different, actually. I to be honest, I don't think I saw I've seen the remake. I haven't seen it either, but I watched some uh YouTube videos that are like everything wrong with this movie, everything wrong with oh. that movie, and I've watched the everything wrong with it. So yes, The Wicker Man, an awesome seventies horror movie, also a really great Iron Maiden song. Mm-hmm. And I would say when I'm personally thinking of folk horror, this is the movie that comes to mind for me. Um, so I think it was in terms of establishing the subgenre of folk horror, I think it was a pretty influential yeah. kind of tone setting movie. I mean, you watch it like, watch like Midsummer, and it's big time. It's got major, uh, influence from the Wicker Man, certainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and this movie is just kind of very singular. Mm-hmm. Everything about it is really unique and, uh, I think for that reason, it was a very captivating watch. I I think I had seen it. I think I had seen it maybe on TV. Like I've definitely seen this movie before on TV. It's pretty racy. I know. I think it was one of those like after midnight kind of things showcase. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, But I remember watching. Our parents listened to this. How old were you? I was probably like three or four. I was in high school. I was. (laughs) I remember like I would stay up later than everybody and watch stuff and. Sometimes there'd be something scary to watch. And this one probably came on, you know, when something comes on too late and you don't want to stay up late enough to watch the whole thing, mm-hmm. but you can't help it. I remember having a feeling like that after watching this movie when it was like two in the morning or something. And it, but I, I couldn't stop. And now, you know, revisiting it now and at a much more agreeable time of day <laughs> was even better. <laughs> well, and lucky for you back then, uh, it's a tight hour and a half. So. True. True. It's, uh, yeah, it's very digestible, right? Yeah. To, this was the first time I had watched it. And uh, it was like super fun, easy watch. Exactly. And I was saying to you, it has like that very warm, like friendly oh, quality yeah. to it that a lot of 70s stuff had. Even like watching an episode of Columbo or something like that. Oh. There's just like something kind of almost charming about Man, it. Right? I, I love watching Columbo. Yeah, you know, you know, each one of those was like an episode. Was more like a movie. They they weren't like they the were, length eh? of a TV episode. They were longer than that. Oh, interesting. I used to watch Columbo with with Dad. Totally, it's yeah. right up Dad Street. Oh yeah, it's like a goofy Law and Order. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. He's like he's like I like your straight man Law and Order, and I like your goofy Law and Order. Yeah, it's like oh, you know, Jack McCoy's serious tone is is really bumming me out today. I'm gonna put on a Columbo instead. Yeah. 
so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna discuss this movie, and of course, you know, because we are who we are, <laughs> unpack some mental health themes, which actually weren't too hard to tease I was, out. I was just gonna say, watching it, I actually found some things that I I think the the subject matter was smacking me in the face in the movie. That, yeah, uh, for something to talk about. Do you think that's because it's kind of shot through this movie like a stick of rock, or do you think it's because you and I, being who we are? When you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Like, is it because you ha- you struggle mm-hmm. to turn that off sometimes too? Um, I I think that it's because like one of the central themes in the movie is something that I have seen in my work so much. So I guess it's a, it's a bit of both because it is right. a central theme of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so yeah, we'll we'll dive right in. Um, I wanted to talk about the first scene where he's flying in on yes, the plane. Please. It's an amazing scene. He passes over somewhere that I've been. Um, the old man of store is like a rock formation, you know, the spiky rocks. I don't know if you would remember. I definitely remember he they pass passed over like a, a really tall formation, right? Yep. And actually there's a photo up of it up in my living room. Oh, wow. The one with the rainbow. Yes. Yes. That yes, my yes, husband yes. Took. Right. Right. Um, yeah, that's old man of store and he flies over it, which is on the Isle of Skye. So he's on like the Scottish Isles. Yes. Oh, that's really interesting. And I was like, oh, I know that place. And it's just interesting because it's that place in 1973. And I went there in 2016, right? But of course it looks the same. It's rocks. They don't really change that much. That's crazy then. It was just kind of That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, And yeah, like the the opening credits of this movie are like breathtaking. They're amazing. Yeah. And the song is super duper um, catchy right from the get-go. Yeah, I, so there's two, which is interesting too. There's because, two songs right yes, at the beginning? exactly. So it's this like intro, right? And the first one... There's one called Corn Rigs. Yeah, that's the second one. The first one is like really interesting. Um, and it, it's like really a beautiful song, but it's almost a little unsettling too because the actual music of it has like this drone note that never stops. And then the singing kind of moves around that note a lot and it's it's really cool but then we get into what i would say is more so kind of a theme song of the movie because it comes up more than once and it's the corn rigs and the corn rigs are something well yes exactly and i'm pretty sure it's a song about having sex with somebody oh well i mean that would be very fitting right because i think he says like he won't forget that night on the leaves with annie on the leaves with any right yeah exactly but all this really cool music and it's so and that's another thing i love the music of the 70s so much true like folk rock is probably like i've often said of the three siblings in our family that we just have like different genres of rock like where we fit right and it's like you're like hard rock heavy metal Mm -hmm. our brother is more like like punky emo kind of thing. Right. And I'm more like folky. Yeah. And I can get down with all that stuff. Oh yeah. I can get down with all of it too, but it's where we, it's, it's our uh, lane. Folk is just so charming when there's a folk song you really like. It's such a nice listen. And yeah, I just thought the, the intro to this movie is so picturesque. It was like watching like a flight simulator or something and just looking at all the scenery, listening to this nice music in this like really small little prop plane and detective Howie's just kind of like looking out the window he's like getting out this paper map and stuff and i thought another thing he's clearly a man of many talents yes he's a like a police officer who knows how to fly yeah he's like hey sir you know what i got i wanted to go check out this island you mind if i just fly the prop plane down there and they're like oh yeah go ahead go ahead howie fine 
so yeah, Detective Howie finally does pull up to this pull up. He, he lands his plane mm-hmm. in a gulf right beside this island that he wanted to go to, right? And in a harbor, yeah. In a harbor, but like not one with a dock or anything. No, they have to bring out a little dinghy to him. He's like, would you send a dinghy, please? <laughs> with this little megaphone. And yeah. <laughs> So that's the thing. I have a note here. Like, what if there was no one standing there? Well, yeah, true. And like, the film really starts us and Detective Howie off on the back foot. Because as soon as he lands, like, they're not even coming out to get him. And they're, he's like, send a dinghy. And they're like, no, <laughs> you, you need permission <laughs> they, from Lord Summerall. Yeah, and they're like, you're in the wrong place. Yeah, well, exactly. They basically said, like, you can't land here. It says police on his plane. He's yeah. like, I'm a police officer. Now send the dinghy yes ask like five times. Persistent. He's immediately unwelcome, right? And and that's just kind of what the audience is seeing right away. And not none of them are being overtly mean. No. Or like brash or, or really rude, but they're like, you shouldn't be they're, here. They're all being unwelcoming and yes. a tremendously obtusely unhelpful oh that's just being that, like oh is that a little girl oh i don't know i don't i don't know that person i'm not sure if i've met a little girl so yeah. how would i know you're saying like a woman but smaller <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're right like that that is one of the things that if the movie didn't do right could be really frustrating about watching this movie because no one will help this guy through the whole movie as as we'll discuss but um, no but it's so interesting the way it unfolds because it, go, it goes from being like oh no i don't know that little girl to well yeah that uh, that's her and she's dead like, exactly exactly because like, he like he'll uncover a clue that says well if you don't know who she was then explain this and they're like well yeah yes <laughs> well yes but she she's not dead. alive oh so she's dead <laughs> Not really, not really. It's like, well, is she? Oh God, poor Detective Howie. I'm a hardworking guy. <laughs> and there's there's symbols everywhere. I so even on the much. so when they send the dinghy, for example, this oh, little boat, eyes. it's got this eye yeah. painted on it. So throughout the movie, there's kind of quote unquote like pagan symbols everywhere, which is really cool. I always like when they kind of drop little things like that in there. And another thing that they establish right away, too, is that everybody on the island gives the ultimate authority to Lord Summer Isle, right? Yeah. So when he's asking to do things that a police officer should be presumed right to be able to do, to do more or less, yeah. they're basically like, well, you need written authority by the Lord, basically. So it's almost like a king type situation on this island. Yeah, well, I guess that that might be something that we just don't understand as much because it was never a thing here but like lords in the uk and scotland like lairds and stuff did have a certain amount of authority right right over different like communities and stuff like that so like maybe that makes a bit more sense to people who kind of know that history better yeah and that's a good point there's probably just a little bit of culture shock there for me too Um, and and it's interesting because there might be even for british people too or like english people because it is in scotland Yes. And, and, and on a small island in Scotland. Good point. And it's a movie that's set in Scotland, but it's a British movie. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he finally, he gets to shore, which is a huge task for him. And he's talking to all these old geezers at the harbor, passing around a picture that was sent to him directly of a girl named Rowan Morrison. Yeah. With a letter saying she's been missing from her home. She hasn't been seen in a long time. And it's a small island, so he figures everyone should know her. And and all these old timers are saying, oh, I've never seen her before. Yeah, and there's all these uh, old guys just standing around 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. In Canada, we would say they're fucking a dog, but that doesn't mean the same thing everywhere. So, Can you imagine living on just a little island in the 70s? Like, what would everyone's job be? There, yeah. were, uh, there would be so few jobs, right? Yeah, what would they stay busy with? Yeah. Well, I guess there was a lot of farming to do that, that's on this what, island. That's, that's hard yep, work. That right? is definitely like the linchpin of this whole movie. Yeah. It, the well, fact that there should be a lot of farming to do. And you're so busy getting laid, too, on oh. this particular island. Yeah, busy getting busy, for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh, we keep pretty busy, that's for sure. They really quickly established, too, and maybe it helps that it's in such contrast to these islanders everyone's like oh oh what would you say about that <laughs> like detective howie is very straight laced very serious <laughs> yeah. and very determined yeah right so he doesn't want to muck about with these guys for too long like he's already frustrated yes he's definitely very straight laced well we'll come to find hardly cracks a smile right and so the people are kind of looking at him too because they say they say oh like, he, he references Mae Morrison. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, well, we know her. She keeps the post office and down on Main she, Street. And she sent him the letter saying, my daughter's missing. Yeah, I believe it was. And then she's like, Meant to oh, be from her mother. Oh, right? I don't know. Yeah, and so he goes to the post office. As he's going, people are, like, opening their windows and staring at him. <laughs> like, he, you know, everyone's kind of gawking at him because he's an outsider. And, yeah, he goes to the post office. And she's like, oh, I, I don't know that person either yeah and then oh when when he goes to see her daughter who is coloring she was painting the picture of the hair yes and then uh he tries to ask her some questions and asks her if she knows rowan and she's like oh of course i do yeah and uh, and then he's like oh and and what she and i think she says that she's a hare yeah she's like oh she's always out playing in the fields running and playing (laughs) and he's like well does she come in for tea and she says right no hares don't drink tea right it doesn't drink tea silly i wish i lived in a place that you had tea every single afternoon well i mean i live in my house you can can make make that that happen happen, but (laughs) still imagine if we weren't alone in doing that Right. And I everyone's like, would you like a tea? Of tea just for myself? If I walked into more places and they asked me if I'd like a tea, I oh. would take them up on it. A oh, lot. I'd take them up on it every single time. So the people who know me do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. And yeah, so he does speak to Mae Morrison, who's supposed to be this missing girl's mom. <laughs> she seems very casual about it. And she's like, never. I tell you, no. It's like they all talk in such interesting ways and not not just their accent, but, you know, old timey. Mm hmm. They're very, they're very like quaint. Sing song, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's just, yeah, exactly. They just have an affected way of, of speaking. I love that. I love when people have turns of phrase that they use like idioms that they use regularly. Same. I do too. He ends up going to the Green Man Tavern, mm-hmm. right? And that's where McGregor, the landlord works. Mm-hmm. He seemed creepy to me. Oh, yeah. Did you not like listening and seeing him? No, I think that that is more or less intended because it definitely yeah. came across to me. He's creepy for sure. He seemed like a creepy trickster or something. Like there was something He's like impish. unnerving. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Big wide smile and his creepy voice. Yeah, um, he did have a creepy voice. Yes, he did. <laughs> and yeah, so I thought he seemed really creepy. Um, Howie says, you know, I'd like a room and I'd like a meal. Can that be arranged? They said they can sort that out for him. No problem. And they introduce Willow, his daughter, who's going to see him up to the room. Who's extremely beautiful. I thought she was extremely gorgeous. Yes, like disarmingly pretty. 
and a rockin' bod, as we see later, too. <laughs> oh, well, I did accidentally read on the internet that she had a butt double. Oh, she had a, such a nice butt. I- <laughs> well, it, when you can hand pick it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is when this movie kind of shows its true self because it just goes wacky like a, mu- yeah. a musical starts. Yes. Um, we, we've been saying to each other before we started recording that I think that you could easily argue the point and not be outright refuted that this movie is a musical. Well, the music is great, and a lot of it is sung by the characters. The, the characters sing. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's, it's cool. It's cool. I love it. I'm I'm up for horror and musicals. So. Yeah, well, true. We do love both. You know, we definitely yeah, love a musical. musical fan. But when that happened, I was like, what's going on? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, did they rehearse this thing? Was it improvised? Was it, is it a real song? And everybody knows it? Is that I th- it? I think so. The Landlord's Daughter? That's the impression that I got is just that it's like uh, one of those songs that everyone in the country would know kind of thing. Fair enough. Like a, like a, fo- a folk song. Like a folk song or yeah. a fight song or whatever. Like just people know it. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do we have any of those? Uh, well, we have our national anthem. Right. People like know Like every it. other country. We have a lot of Celine Dion songs. <laughs> no, but like what about like a folk song? A folk song for Canada? I... You know what? I bet we have. How about. Hockey Night in Canada? Hell yeah. (laughs) I'm sure we do. We'll have to look it up and talk about it next episode. Maybe on the East Coast. Bet you they would. A little more um, folky there. A little bit more Scottish there. Right? Uh, True. Um, I'm sure, and probably even some of our kids' songs, you know what I mean, are kind of like regional. Well, like Ring Around the Rosie. Like that's. I mean, not strictly Canada, but that's one. Yeah. We have, like, Ring Around the Maple Tree. Yeah. Or, like, um, Ring Around the Beaver or something like that. <laughs> yeah, ring, ring Around the Beaver, for sure. <laughs> A pocket full of... Pocket full of cleavers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as you do, as you have pockets full. Oh, jeez. So as... So, again, like, all of a sudden, boom, we're launching into a musical, and... McGregor is fucking pleased as punch about this song. Pleased as punch about every single person in his bar talking about fucking his daughter. And how beautiful she is. And not just that, but the big guy, the guy who ends up playing a hobby horse later. And the guy who like just humped her across the floor. His line is about how she's not the kind of girl you bring home to mother. Right. And McGregor dies laughing at this. <laughs> like he thinks it's he thinks it's good fun, really. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a big deal about what this movie is about. Sex. Well, and like how he cannot wrap his head around this. Yes. He's appalled. Yes. Right? And everybody else just thinks it's normal. Everyone else thinks it's normal and good fun indeed. And I will say, I think that's what is at the heart of folk horror. Is like you end up somewhere. The fish out of water thing. You're off base because nothing makes sense because you don't understand. Nothing is as it should be to you. To you. Yeah. And it's, it's even more sinister because everybody else is on the same page and you're not. Yeah. Right? Like oh, you yeah, said, that's... fish out of water. And do you know what? That's something that I have um, run up against in my um, like mental health career often is just how like subtle and nuanced social norms are. That like something that if you read on paper, you'd think is really small. But if it actually happened to you in real life, you'd realize how weird it is because like social interactions are so complex and cultural things. So like a 10 second pause 
when someone's answering a question, if you read that number, you're like 10 seconds, what's that? That's not long. But try having a conversation with someone and waiting 10 seconds every time before you answer them. They will look at you like you have two heads. Well, and that's so interesting too, because one of the things that is sometimes an important part of counseling or or doing mental health work is like embracing or being okay with silence. So in a counseling session, for example, you might be speaking to someone for 45 minutes or an hour. And a lot of times as you're being trained or what have you, you're encouraged to kind of let the pauses stay there and leave the silence and just kind of live in it. And it is so hard. Oh yeah. Because you're like, well, you know, I'm supposed to be talking. Like, why is no one filling this silence? Like sometimes it is really hard to do. So you're right. Just little things like that. They seem so big in the moment. Right. And so being surrounded by people who are all doing what feels wrong to you would upset you on like every level. I think more than people might appreciate until something like that happens to them. Just how uncomfortable it'll make you. You'd be so disoriented. Yeah. And like, I don't know, it would feel like a dream at a certain point. Well, yes. And I've got some notes about that later too. So people are are kind of singing what many would consider to be a crass song about a girl who is right there and her dad and, is right there. She's, she's loving it. She's loving it. She's <laughs> dancing. She's doing the humping dance with this big old man. <laughs> like, and she's laughing. She thinks it's great. And so does her dad. So, and so does her dad. Who so are we her, to judge? Her dear papa. And then, and then is it at this point that Howie bangs the table being like, stop it. He like basically calls the court to order by yeah, slamming an ashtray. He's <laughs> like, that's enough of all this. But he does. He slams this thing on the counter. And then, like, just to try to kill everybody's buzz, he's like, I think you'd all better know that I'm here on official police business. <laughs> and I was like, oh, he basically put the whole damn island on notice there. He was like, <laughs> hey, everyone is a suspect. <laughs> so I'm putting the whole damn system on trial. Um, this, this whole, <laughs> what is it? This, this whole, whole court is out court of order. court is out of order. <laughs> so... One of the few clues he notices is actually in the Green Man um, Tavern where they have like a picture of a little girl with each crop yield. Mm -hmm. And the one for that year is missing. 1972 is missing. Right. And and the creepy McGregor says like, oh, it broke. Yeah. You know how pictures break. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like I know a picture frame can break, but to describe a picture as broken just seemed weird. Oh, and what did you think about the scene where then he's in the back and he's eating he's his dinner. eating his sad little dinner. And he's like, oh, this is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, me too. He seems like doing a Gordon Ramsay bit. <laughs> but he's like, everything here is out of a can. Yes, which is such a great little hint. But also, it's like, we live on an island, dude. We yeah. get a lot of imports. Well, but then he said he says to her, like, uh, an island famous for its produce. Why are you eating out of a can? Very true. Another clue. Do you know what I thought at first, though? I didn't immediately think, like, oh, bad crop yields. I was like, oh, they're just being very unwelcoming to him by giving him crappy food. Giving him the worst That's shit what I they thought. got. Yeah, exactly. But he says, um, you know, and to make it kind of more on the head, she's like, well, what will you have for dessert? And he says, um, oh, I'll have one of your famous apples. And she's like, no apples, you know? <laughs> so he says, well, how can a, how can an island famous for its apples have no apples? And she says, oh, they all got exported. So the clues are not abundant. 
he's a, he's quite a good detective because he really does suit you know find them. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's a picture missing on the wall. There's no picture of the crop that year. He speculates that maybe Rowan was in the picture. He's got yeah. no reason to yeah, think so she he's, was. He's right? Imagine, yeah, he's got a he's filling in a, the blanks. A hunch. Um, do you find him likable? Howie? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Even though I do. He's, he's a bit of like a spoil sport. He's and, a huge stick in the mud. <laughs> and not much fun. <laughs> no yeah. question. But he's a nice. Well, he I, maybe he's not nice, but he. Is I assume a, he's nice he's because he's good, trying to help a girl. He's a good guy. Yeah. Right. I so I actually was quite charmed by Detective Howie. Plus, I think I was empathizing with him as I was watching it because I was like, "Oh, this would be so awful." Yeah, and like I, I hate big raucous parties. So I'm like, <laughs> you're like, stop it! I wish I could be like, bang, bang, bang! Everyone, stop! <laughs> yeah, speaking of sticks in the mud. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm a lot of fun. Um, he he leaves the tavern, and that's when he kind of sets upon all those people having sex in the grass. Like that was a bit jarring Where, too. Is that right then? Yeah. Because he kind of goes for a walk before he goes up to his room. Goes for a walk. Because I was like, he's in the same place to go to bed. No, he yeah. goes to walk off his dinner. And there's, I thought it was like a dream sequence. Because I'm like, why? Well, I was like, why are there like four couples just having sex on the lawn? I think another reason that we can't blame you for thinking it was a dream sequence is they did some like pretty shitty effects there. Mm-hmm. They slow it down to like a crawl. And then they do a freeze frame. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I didn't know if it was just my... Like no, no. Edit or something. I think they just want, I think they probably shot it and then thought they panned too fast. And so they wanted you to be able to kind of like see it all for what <laughs> it was, but they went too fast with the camera work. And so they decided to just pause it, but it's the only time it happens in the movie. And it's just kind of jarring, I thought. And then there's the one naked woman um, crying at the headstone. Was she crying or laughing? I think she was crying. On reflecting back, I imagine that it's her lover's grave. Perhaps, and but he's probably like a, a bug now or something. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's trans transmuted into something. <laughs> and so, yeah, like how he couldn't be more out of his skin about this. Like, he is the wrong guy. Yeah. To like accidentally walk in on a big sex party in you the know middle what? of a there field. Would, there would probably have been, and of course, we know that there's a reason for that. But um, there'd be so many other cops that would have been like, "Hell yeah! Look where I'm stationed, all by myself. This island rocks." Yeah, I'm never leaving. <laughs> yeah, so like after that, it's a cut to he is in his kind of B and B room, and he's kneeling, praying at his bed like a like a five year old kid. You know what I mean? Like that's really what it made me think of. And we'll talk about this more because this is a theme of this movie. But we all have rituals, right? Mm-hmm. And we all have things that help us in our comforting behaviors. And people who are religious kind of have that built in because prayer is just such a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, so many times if you were to have something that was troubling you, something you were having a, a hard time deciding about or anything, you'd be encouraged to pray about it and things mm-hmm. like that. So anytime something was bothering Detective Howie, that would for sure, based on the few things we see about him, that would be what he would be leaning on. Right. But that is such a, um, at least a near universal kind of behavior, right? Because it's like, there's not all that much difference between certain kinds of praying, certain kinds of meditating, certain kinds of journaling, right? Like, yep, that's right. There, it all kind of comes down to a pretty similar behavior. And I think there's even a lot of just uh, benefit in speaking something out or writing something out too. So, Definitely. you know, when you're, when you're articulating what the problem is and things like that, there's a lot of that playing into it too, right? So Willow then is in the adjoining room 
Yes. And she begins another song. This scene was another trip right after the... Super trippy. Even (laughs) more than the last. Yeah. Right after all the like slow panning sex having couples. (laughs) Yes. Um, And yeah, we spoke about it a couple minutes ago, but like the diegetic sound of like her banging on the wall being the drumbeat of the song. Well, I thought and was also so cool. there were people downstairs and it showed them playing guitar. Like it was almost like, like maybe the music, the music was... was really supposed to be there. And she was clearly really singing mm-hmm. in the, in the movie. Mm-hmm. Cause um, he could hear it. He was responding to what he was hearing from her. So that was such a trip, that song. And it was like, it was trance-like. Definitely. Right? Like, it was really, really interesting. What did you think of the representation of his temptation? I He was pretty damn tempted. Oh, He had yes. to pry himself off of the wall. Yes. Like, he was pressed up against the wall, kind of hot and bothered. Sweaty. Sweating. And had to pry himself off to go back to bed. So it was like, certainly he was tested. No question. Yes, I mean, like, exaggerated for dramatic effect. Because I, I can't imagine someone's temptation looking quite like that. You know what it felt like? It felt stagey. Hmm. Yeah. And and another thing, if he was that tempted, he wouldn't have been able to lay flat against that wall. <laughs> he would have been, like, at an odd kind of triangular angle. Out? Yeah, exactly. So it was a really physical way to get an idea across, mm-hmm. right? But it was great. I, I actually really liked that scene. Me and too. I was kind of humming the song later. I, I thought that pretty much every song in it was very pretty. Banging soundtrack. Yeah. So Willow in the morning comes into his room and says like, hey, you know, you should have come by last night. I was inviting you. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish you would have. And he says at that point that he's engaged to be married and he doesn't believe in that sort of thing. He doesn't believe in sex before marriage or being rad or having fun in any way. No. And that's what they established with that, I think. No, he hardly <laughs> ever skateboards or... he. Oh, God, yeah. He probably... His skateboarding days are long behind him. He probably busts skateboarders now. Yeah. Right? Like he's on the skateboard beat. Breaks the skateboard over his knee. And Willow suggests, like, if that's the case... Yeah. Right? You, won't, <laughs> you won't like to see our Mayday Festival. And she basically is like, things are about to get real sexual. Yeah. Just so you know... <laughs> It's like, well, if you can't handle a simple stranger, like singing to you, beckoning you while completely nude in her, in the adjoining room. Yeah. Dancing with her body against the wall. Yeah. Shaking what, her butt around. What did you think about her dancing? Uh, her dancing. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, it was a choice. Like it wasn't, didn't look like the most seductive dancing to me. I'll be well, honest. I guess she couldn't be seen. But except yeah, by I mean, us. I'm I'm sure that I'm not surprised that Howie found it very inviting, but I don't think it was all about her dancing. But he didn't even get to see it. He didn't see, see it. the dancing. He, but true. he just remembered how she looked from downstairs. Yeah, yeah. Very, well cast. Very... She was very stunning. Apparently that actress eventually married Rod Stewart. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. Well, lucky Rod Stewart. I suppose so. Um, it's so is that a, is that a cover? That is a cover. Like, I like his I feel better. Like we know his covers better. Yes, mom had a cover album of Rod Stewart. <laughs> except sings for the hits. Except for Maggie May. I mean, I know that song really well, but other than that, I'm not sure if I'm. 
Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm not a big Rod lover or whatever his fan base is called. <laughs> we just uh, we follow his tour around. <laughs> we just go to his shows. Yeah, that's it. Why would you assume anything else? We just like the music. No, they're the Rod crankers because they really like to crank his music. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, everybody. There's a really hard cut after that scene where we've established how he is this virgin loser. <laughs> it's the maypole scene and i love the maypole it's Me so too. cool but there's a kid playing a, oh, a djembe ma- oh, what's it called like a, or like a mouth harp isn't okay it? it's called a djembe um which is the african term yeah. or it's called a jaw harp jaw harp but it's like yeah it sounds like a didgeridoo right like <laughs> it's like the most unmusical thing at the start of that song Sounds like Foley for like a Looney Tunes character oh, running yeah. into a wall or something like that. Um, can you sing a stanza of the song? I wish I could. I can't remember the things well enough, right? Yeah. But it's like, um, and on that, mm, there was a, on that, mm, there was a, and then right in there. So it's it's basically, it's almost like um, in the town, there is a hill. On the hill, there is a house. Like we have kind of limericks like that too. Did you remind me of like, there's a hole in the bottom of the sea. There's a hole in the bottom of the sea. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the thing I found interesting about the Maypole song, and I shouldn't be surprised, but it's a little more graphic than a song would usually be. So it's like on that something, there is a bed. On that bed, there is a girl. On, on that, that girl, girl, there, there is, is a, man. a man. Right. And on that grave, there grew a, a tree. It's a great song. I really like the the guy singing it. But yeah, it was just, again, a really catchy, charming song. And the kids are doing this neat little dance around the maypole where they're wrapping the ribbons around it. And then they cut to the all-female classroom. classroom, So Where the teachers, like, and they're all banging their desk to the maypole song. Question to you about the um, content of what's being taught and what's being discussed with this age of kids. What do you think about the frank discussion of sex in this way with kids? Well, I think that's a great question because one thing that happens, so Howie starts watching through the window of the classroom and she's like, yes, children. And and that's the song of the maypole. And what does the maypole represent? And the first girl doesn't know, but then all the other kids are like a phallus. Yeah. Right. And she's like, that's right. The phallus, a penis, you know, a big, tall penis. And how he's like out of his mind. He's like, I need to stop this right now. He literally does. He goes in and halts the class. But that being said, like you're talking about the name of a body part that like 49% of the world have. Like, are you kidding me? And she does talk about its purpose in reproduction. But I think that we just have some, well. But like if Rowan's a classmate of these kids, mm -hmm. she's 12. Right. So if they're True. 12. Well, they would definitely be doing family life type stuff yeah. in, in schools in our area by then. Yeah. Right. So. And I like, I, I think it's good. There needs to be m- like much more frank discussion of sex and the correct names for body parts with kids. I agree with you, especially about the naming of body parts. It's mm-hmm. like because something is used for sex sometimes mm-hmm. means you shouldn't know the real name for a body part and we have to call it like a pp or Mm -hmm. some stupid thing like Mm -hmm. my personal philosophy is that there's no harm especially in using like correct anatomical terms because if if 
you've got a kid and his penis is hurting, like you want him to be able to say so. To say so, certainly. Right? Or even when we're trying to teach them about boundaries and yeah, like you don't want to have to reprogram them. Like, by the way, that's not actually a peepee. It's called a penis. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like, I think you have to do too much backpedaling. If you're nervous to even introduce the terms when you're a kid. You have to do so much reteaching at a certain be teenagers. age. Because, because they don't know. And it like research bears out the fact that if you mm-hmm. are uninformed, that it creates risk. Right. So yeah, Howie is crawling out of his skin. He calls it filth. He says he's going to report her to the authorities, this teacher, mm-hmm. for talking about a penis, right? And she's like, I didn't realize that the police had any authority in education. Yeah. And he's like, oh, well. He's blustering. Oh, he's he's like he's stammering. Yeah. He goes in, he kind of gets himself together. <laughs> and he's like, I'm a police officer, as you can see. Writes Rowan's name on the board, asks the girls if they know Rowan. And they all say no. That is the most unbelievable part. That they would all say no? That all the kids could be in on a secret against oh. one man. Never going to happen. One of the kids would totally mess it up. <laughs> and maybe it's because they learn about death in different ways, like the teacher suggests. He sees that there's an empty desk, speculates that it must be Rowan's. He flips it open, and there's a beetle on a string attached to a nail. What did you think of that? Uh, like creepy, spooky... Off-putting. Yeah, it was quite a thing for them to do. Was it some kind of snide? That he that he's a beetle on a string? Okay, yeah, I totally thought that was representative of Detective Howie. Going around in circles. Until he traps himself against the nail. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's clearly Detective Howie. But it was like a little inside joke that they had, that they all knew the beetle was there, but they didn't think he'd look in the desk <laughs> and all this stuff. And he really hates that too. He's like, why would you do this to this beetle? This poor little beetle. (laughs) They're all God's creatures. Well, yeah, Howie hates injustice. At any size. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, pretty much. So even a beetle. Even, uh, yeah, on the level of an insect. But, you know, all God's creatures, like you said. That was one big, fat beetle. There's no way that that's enormous. So one thing that he does, because he's pretty quick with it, he takes out the teacher's manifest for the class, and he sees Rowan's name, Mm -hmm. and everyone's like, fuck. It's another one of those situations. Everyone's like, nope, nope, nope. We have and no idea. Like, okay, and then well, he's yes. like, well, what about this here? It yes. says her name. And they're like, oh, well. Well, yes. <laughs> and then and then he's like, so what What happened? And and it's like, is she dead? And she's like, well, we wouldn't say dead, but yes. Yeah. Like, and it's like, well, okay, so she's dead. You guys told me she didn't exist, and now you're telling me she's dead. I, yeah. I found that the unfolding of the story about what happened to Rowan so strange because I'm like what they're not holding the the party line anymore that that they don't know her like they're just like oh well yes now she's dead yeah we don't know her because she's not alive yeah so we don't know So how can you know something and then and then after that it's like oh well of course yes here's her grave very true isn't it funny and yeah so the teacher and I'm paraphrasing but she basically says well we don't know her because she's not alive Mm -hmm. and it's like oh well then she's dead and she's like not really we wouldn't we we don't use the word dead so they basically according to their beliefs they think she she is reincarnated among nature somewhere Mm -hmm. fire trees animals that sort of thing which is completely incompatible with the way that uh how he sees things mm-hmm. um so they feel she's simply returned to another form and he says have these kids learned nothing of christianity 
Like, he cannot believe he, it. He cannot wrap his head around it. And it's just not even what he's there to do, but it becomes his True. focus. Yeah. yeah, he's kind of evangelizing or trying to. Definitely. And then he says, well, where's her body? And she's like, well, where would you expect it to be? It's in the earth. But it's like, well, no one cares about what I expect. Yeah. Everyone's telling me the opposite of what yeah. I expect here. So I have to ask the most basic questions. And then the, the grave digger's like, oh, yeah, there's Rowan over there. We don't have the headstone yet. And even even Chi, the teacher before then, you know, oh, well, okay, so it's in the churchyard. You should have told me that. She's like, well, it's not a in a anymore. manner of speaking. <laughs> yeah. And he says, no, in plain speaking. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Just tell me. Yeah. But then I thought she had a pretty good point. She's like, well, if it's a pagan religion, would you call it a churchyard? Because <laughs> he probably wouldn't. Yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, you're right. He goes and he meets the grave digger, who's also the tree planter. But do, uh, and there's the part where the woman is breastfeeding at, in the graveyard. What or the in fuck part was of the that? With and extends her hand with an egg in it to him. You know what I thought about that scene, honestly, and I thought this movie is great well. and super well done. Is they're like, ooh, I bet this would be creepy. Yeah, like, put this lady oh, in there. A woman breastfeeding. And she's holding it. Someone get her something. An egg. An egg. <laughs> And it's like, yeah, we get it. Fertility. Egg. egg. Breastfeeding. Breast <laughs> we get it. We get it. But it was like, what's she doing there? Why would she go there? Why would she take one egg? How? Why would she show it to Howie? Like, And then he doesn't say look anything. Look at this egg. He just, he's like, fuck it. I'm not here for this. So, yeah, I just have a note here. Like, Howie is finding everything extremely hard to understand everywhere he turns mm -hmm. because it just is incompatible with his worldview. Yeah, it's so it's distracting even like his purpose for even being on the island. Good point. Like I remember feeling that way. I'm like, oh, so he's quite religious. Like it occurred to me at a certain point that like, oh, that's a big part of this story I'm realizing. Well, and at one point they show him giving, helping to give a sermon at his church. They show like a flash of it. But one thing he did that I thought was really bad, he knocks all these apples off someone's grave. Yeah. And he takes the wood and he makes a cross and puts it on their grave. Yes. Right. That's how rigid his thinking is. That if it's a grave, it must have a cross. Yeah, he doesn't realize that he's desecrating a grave. He thinks he's doing the opposite. He thought that their grave was desecrated for him having not sorted it out until he fixed it. Yes, I did at points, like I know that it's the 70s and he's a white man and all this, but I did at points think like, where does he get the audacity to think he can tell people what to believe? And he's being so rude to everyone about it. He is very forward and gruff. Yeah, he's just, he's not open-minded in the least. Mm -mm. He's the worst person to go there, period. But I agree with you, and we'll talk about it later, but he could easily, with a couple changes, he could be construed as the bad guy in this film. Definitely. And um, I'm a real sucker for feeling sympathetic towards the person whose story we're following, kind of like no matter what, until, right. until they're proven to be like quite bad. So there might not even be a very good reason for me to find him to be a good guy, you know? Well, I think we are aligned with his motivations enough to see at least where he's coming from. Oh, de well, I mean, yes. Right. Trying to help a vulnerable young girl. Yeah, that's a good jumping off point. I had a question. And he's faithful to his wife, uh, fiance. And his faith. And his faith, yes. He finds Rowan's grave, which has a nice tree coming out of it. And what did you think of the umbilical cord? Well, so is that is supposed to be her umbilical cord? Yes, I do believe. He so had kind of she, a nickname for it. He called it like navel skin or something. So yeah. then I also interpreted an umbilical cord, but I'm like, they saved it? Yeah. From her birth till now? Yeah. Some 12-year-old umbilical cord? 
could be worse. She could have been 80. She could have been 80. And it makes perfect sense, you know, that they would value something like that. Mm-hmm. And hanging on a tree. And even, like, the the kind of, like, cyclical, like, from her grave hangs the thing that, like, started her life. Yeah. Kind of an interesting and thing. And now she's helping to start the life of a tree and all this stuff. And, and like, I mean, we talk about rituals and stuff, and it's like, that that's one that I could wrap my head around for sure. Me too. Me too. Yeah, you're going to plant a tree to, to honor somebody who died. Makes perfect sense to me. And people uh, save all sorts of stuff. Baby teeth, hair. Yeah, like what are people going to do with these baby teeth? Mm. You're going to have a bag of them? Yeah, just keep them. Then someone's boyfriend comes over and it's like, oh, do you want to see your baby teeth? Yes, yes, that would be great, Mrs. Jones. I'd love to see my uh, girlfriend's baby teeth. I have seen my my husband's hair from when he was a baby. That's a little cuter <laughs> than like some yellowed teeth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and baby teeth, there's not much to them. And by the no time they, they fall out, they're like so teeny tiny. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You're right. There's a few cool scenes, too, that just give us some insight into their culture, too. One of the scenes is where Miss Morrison, the post office keeper. Oh, puts the frog in her daughter's mouth. She's putting the frog in her daughter's mouth because her her daughter has a sore throat. And then she says, oh, now, now it has a sore throat. It's got your nasty sore throat. Listen to it croak, yeah. she says. <laughs> but don't you think that that is something that like it could fit into a life? Like it didn't seem that weird. It was weird. It just seemed like a wives tale. Yeah. Right? But so it, that's it true. It seems like if someone told me that their grandma used to do that, I would believe them. You and know? maybe it's based in some truth. Like, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised to learn that at all. But I did think, like, aren't you guys, like, big nature lovers? Why are you picking on this frog? <laughs> Why does the frog need to have a cold now? You know? I thought you loved nature. <laughs> but also, you know what's cool? I think that there's an element that bleeds into that Detective Howie isn't just incensed from a Christian standpoint. He's also bothered by the fact that modern medicine and science has come a certain uh, distance. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, why are you doing this bullshit? Like putting the frogs in their mouth. Hmm. Give them some medicine. Hmm. Or, and it comes up later too, but he's basically like, you can't just explain the health or the illness of your crops by, you know, appeasing a god or appealing mm-hmm. to a god, right? Like he, he kind of talks a little bit about some science stuff and too. He, he does that later, yeah. Yeah. Like, and it seemed almost like his impassioned speeches at the end seemed like what he was holding in the entire time he'd been on the island. He's but, biting his tongue. <laughs> um, so I think at this point he's definitely said more or less what I was alluding to at the beginning, which is at a few points he says like, you guys are all mad. Yes. He's saying like, you guys are crazy. And that is something that I wanted to talk about. That's the the topic that I felt like presented itself just on a platter for us to discuss from a mental health perspective. Yeah. Um, which we've talked about briefly before, but um, the trouble between sorting out things that are delusional beliefs versus religious beliefs, because for him, these firmly held religious beliefs that are so different from his, he thinks that they're crazy. Yeah. But if you kind of look at it strictly like bare bones, so is any religion, right? In the same way. Yeah, in the same way. So is the idea that some guy 2,000 years ago died and then came back to life and changed water into wine and yeah. did all these things. Not to say that someone's religion is true or untrue, but if you're to explain it in its most basic components, 
on its face, it's going to sound ridiculous to somebody who wasn't maybe raised in that culture or had a particular reason to have adopted that belief, right? If you try to just explain it, like you said, pieces of the Bible, anything, it's going to seem like nonsense to somebody. Any of those beliefs on their face attributed to anything but a religion would be called a delusion. If I said my brother gave me a water bottle and turned it into wine himself. They're like, is your brother in the room with us right now, Jenna? They'd say, well, I've got a bizarre delusion. You're right. Any of those things are like you could outright call a delusion, but you, I could tell you that every member of the group is probably not going to meet the diagnostic criteria of a delusional disorder. It's really interesting. Yep, absolutely. To, to sort out the difference between delusions, religious beliefs, you know, spirituality, whatever, and something that is a pathological diagnosable problem. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And one of the scary parts is that one of the most important parts is context, mm-hmm. right? So, And function, as we say, always. Always. But I just think also like having certain beliefs, it's, it's so much matters like what culture you're in, what part of the world you're in, uh, you know, how old you are, what your gender is. Like there are so many oh, layers, right? That, that this is a delusion, this isn't. Yeah. And even like people who say that they personally audibly hear the voice of God speak to them directly Mm -hmm. is not necessarily considered a delusion by many psychologists because the context is they're a very religious person. Yeah. This is a manifestation of their faith. Or even the belief that, that I pray and God hears me. Well, good point. Because again, if you take it out of the context of God hears me, if I say I sit quietly in a room and think, and my husband in the next room hears me. Yeah. That's a delusion. I know. It's just like, it's all about our social programming too. I have thought to myself before, I don't know if I could practice in another country. <laughs> like, <laughs> or, or I'd have to relearn so many things because people's behaviors, uh, the appropriateness of their behaviors, their thought patterns, their functionality, it does depend on the society in which they live. And when that changes within um, different like, cultural contexts so do the manifestations of disorders right yeah look at the like malocchio in in italy or something right like the evil eye and uh-huh. you can give people the evil eye you can get the evil eye and you do all these things to protect yourself against it and it's like cultural mm-hmm. and if we were just dropped into that culture and like you know met one person who told us that we'd probably be like oh you know this person seems a little paranoid and they're maybe <laughs> having some delusions about being victimized by Mm -hmm. this evil eye. And then we come to find out people across Italy might think the same way, right? And Mm -hmm. it's just so interesting. And I don't know, uh, you know, I haven't been to Italy. I'm only speaking about some things that people who come from Italian families have told me, but it's just an example of something (laughs) where it would be crazy making for us, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm good. I want to talk about that term. Well, maybe we could do it right now. It's a word in the zeitgeist that probably drives us crazy sometimes. Um, but it's like this movie is about gaslighting <laughs> at a community level. Yeah. Right? So everybody is trying to make how we feel like he's losing his mind by telling him abject lies. Well, and like, yeah, the, the idea that, no, we don't know any, any Rowan. And then, oh, well, yes, we know a Rowan. We never said we didn't know a Rowan. She's dead. They're not like, like, oh, you caught me. I do know Rowan. They're like, yeah, we know her. They're like, yeah, she's dead. Like, could you imagine? And then they're like, well, no, maybe she's not dead. She's missing. (laughs) 
so yeah, um, gaslighting basically being the practice of trying to make someone feel unstable in their sanity, basically, or, or their mm-hmm. connection to reality by denying things that happened or, or kind of um, making them believe that their interpretation of the world around them is wrong, yes. that what they believe to be true is not true. And it's not an actual clinical term. No. doesn't have a clinical definition. No. It comes from an, an old movie called The Gaslight, where the um, husband does that to a wife. Right. And I mean, it would be behavior that certainly people do and, and you know, particularly mm-hmm. people with certain profiles and things like that. But it's also become this very big term that gets bantied about a lot too. Mm -hmm. Um, But this would certainly be a very good example of gaslighting. It just happens to be that everybody's in on it. So poor Detective Howie is really up against it. The term crazy making too, it it was making me think of the term crazy making just in that when you're being fed information that doesn't make any sense to you, but you're not surrounded by somebody who feels the same way, then it makes you feel like, what is happening to me right now? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, so like sometimes someone says something that is totally off the wall, like at a party or something, and you like do a gym from the office moment and kind of catch eyes with somebody that you know, and you're like, did you just hear that too? But if you don't have anyone (laughs) to do that with, then you're like, like, am I the one? Am I the weird one? Not making sense, right? So- this movie just kind of is a it's a bombastic example of it that kind of sets me on edge a bit. Like I can really uh, sympathize for Detective Howie. Mm-hmm. He ends up going to the chemists, and the chemist straight up has witches ingredients. Oh, he's got right? like oh, uh, like embryonic lambs in a pickling liquid or something. He's like got he's like got... a two foot tall beaker of foreskins. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> and he's got like frogs legs and all. Like, it's literally like for a witch's brew. Yeah. So we also see uh, a really cool fertility ritual, which involves the women, uh, the young women. To make the baby strong. Yeah, that's right. Another banger song. Yeah. And the young women are nude and they're jumping over the fire pit. And then (laughs) the pregnant women are in this like ethereal ghostly lighting, just kind of like walking around touching touching trees. Oh, and do you know what I was going to say? I actually like as a person who has had a baby found kind of like poignant about the little song is the three things that they ask of the baby, like make the baby grow mm-hmm. and then make the baby stay. I thought was like oh. kind of a, a touching thing. Just of course the idea of like miscarriages um, are actually more common than I think a lot of people might realize. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're right. So I found that like kind of a touching line in there because the idea of miscarriage for any person who's pregnant is so so scary sure yeah i see what you mean so next we get to meet lord summer isle which is great all those scenes are great of uh, christopher lee christopher lee amazing actor um he said and you know he kind of goes and meets him in his uh his home that sort of thing like he's got like a doorman kind of thing and a manor yeah man like i I almost called it an estate like it's Mm -hmm. a nice place yes it is and he says, I trust that the sight of the young people refreshes you. I say, it certainly does not. <laughs> yeah, he's told plainly. They're like butting heads immediately. And he's like, well, I think it's refreshing. Like, <laughs> well, I don't think it's refreshing at all. <laughs> kind of <laughs> passive aggressive, right? I think that um, the the whole all the townspeople just brushing off his like blustering is is so funny. And They don't even pay it any mind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
It's like they're uh, like he's a kid, like a little kid, and they're like, oh, okay, oh, yeah, sure, I see, sure. I see you're upset. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, big angry guy. Yeah, I get it. Yep. And he says, well, you know, he's like, yeah, go ahead, dig her body up if that's yeah, what you yeah, need to do. Yeah, yeah, because he was like, I think that. I, and he thinks it's going to be a fight from yeah. Lord Summer's Island. Yeah. He's like, I think I need to do this. He's like, well, then you must do it. <laughs> I think it's because everyone was like, you need Summer Isle's permission yeah, yeah. to do that. And then he's like, yeah, absolutely, because I'm sure you're wrong. We don't commit murder around here. We're a deeply religious people. And yeah. that, like, makes Howie's head explode. <laughs> yes, he cannot compute. <laughs> he's like, religious? And he's he's like, you have empty churches, no ministers, all this stuff. And he's like, and yet, we're a deeply religious people. But Howie's it's just like, not your religion. Howie's melting down. Yeah. Right? <laughs> One of my favorite parts, he's talking about the fertility uh, ritual. And he's like, they're out there. Uh, they're naked. Right? And he's like... <laughs> well, so, yeah, they, they can't jump over a fire with their clothes yeah, on. Like, Do you know how dangerous that would be? Think, man. Come on. That's <laughs> too dangerous. And meanwhile, Howie's like, well, then don't have them jump over a fucking bonfire. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, they, it's like they can't speak the same language. Yeah. Right? It's amazing. Howie accuses them of having fake biology and fake religion because he's like, this fertility ritual is not going to get them pregnant. And he says, sir, have these kids not heard of Jesus? <laughs> To, to which Christopher Lee responds, who himself was a uh, born of a virgin impregnated by a ghost. Yeah, it's like, oh, man, burn on the Christian religion there. And it just shows what we were just talking about, right? Which mm-hmm. is like on its face, these things would feel silly to anybody. Mm-hmm. So if Howie's just dropped into this island, literally by a plane, it's his first day there. And mm-hmm. they're like, well, this is how we do things. And he's like, that's crazy. Do you know what I thought was an interesting detail revealed in the conversation between the two of them just now? Is that this deeply ingrained pagan religion that overtook the entire island and all of its inhabitants has only been around for two generations. Since his grandfather. He said his grandfather did it. So he does give some backstory. He said his his grandfather came and bought the island. He bought it because he had been experimenting with growing his own strains of fruit. That he thought would do very well on the island because of the volcanic soil. And the warm and the gulf, warm gulf Right. So I thought that that was really interesting. But you're right. He says to ingratiate himself basically to the workers, he allowed them to basically celebrate these old gods and to worship them. But I had the impression that he was kind of giving those back to the people. Right. That they did before. And so they were happy to do it again. Mm. I, think, your- I think that's probably true. But I just... I, I don't know. Part of me wished that it had been more like this island is so isolated that yes. they've been celebrating all these things, um, you know, in isolation forever, for from time memoriam. He's like, no one could live. They got by with what they could by harvesting, you know, from sheep. No one was thriving. Mm-hmm. Right. And so now celebrating these gods, we've had good crop yields. People mm-hmm. are thriving here. People are happy here. And again, like it's just, he's turning the screws on Howie so bad by explaining his his side of it, right? Mm-hmm. So I was wondering to rouse the people, he gave them back their joyous old gods, um, Summer Isle's grandfather, mm-hmm. right? And you know, spoilers for this movie, a hundred percent. Like we're gonna go through the ending and everything. But is Summer Isle lying now, or is he lying in the future? Because right now he's talking science. He's like, well, really, it's about the island's volcanic soil, and that's why we can grow these fruit, and that's why they do well. But in the end of the movie, he's like, our crops are absolutely not going to fail because we're, we're doing this for our gods, so they're going to come through for us. 
it's like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. And I'm mm-hmm. wondering, is he not as religious as he makes himself seem to his people? Or is he way more religious than he's making himself seem to Howie right mm-hmm. now? What's your take on that? Well, I I think I might just um, sit on the fence here and say, I think, I think it's both. You know what? I think you're right. Because yeah. at one point, he's talking about how his grandfather raised him. And how he says... He raised you as a pagan. He brought you up as a pagan. And then Summer Isle says, a heathen, but I'm hoping an enlightened one. Mm-hmm. So I think by saying that, he's saying, yeah, I'm a very religious person and I understand the science too. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Well, and I think it's like he can know that his grandfather brought it back and he can know that the particular conditions of this island make it a unique opportunity to grow fruit. And he can know those and those scientific things can be true, but he can also hope against hope that this pagan ritual is going to work to bring a good crop yield. Yeah, you you had the feeling that it couldn't hurt. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He goes to exhume uh, Rowan's coffin with Summer Isle's permission. And with the help of the Undertaker. With the help of the weird Undertaker. They're all weird. Everybody on the island is weird. That's what I was going to say too. And... They open it and there's a hair in there. Yes. So, uh, so an animal. And the gravedigger starts laughing like uncontrollably. Like, what was that all about? Oh, just being a real creep. You I think hated he was that. just like, ha ha, neener, neener, neener well, to Howie or what? You know what? There's a few times where people go neener, neener, neener to Howie. And, and laugh at him. And okay. Yeah. Well, because he's playing the fool, I guess. And they outright call it out in the later in the movie. Yeah. But I mean, that had 100% Omen vibes to me. When did the Omen come out? 76 maybe oh afterwards so it it was making me think of the scene obviously where they go to exhume damien's birth mother in the original omen and there's like jackal bones in there and such a cool scene mother was a jackal okay crazy priest time to get you out of here i was gonna say like one of the things about it is it's a story where you're following somebody who's not on the same page as one other person that you're gonna see for the extent of the whole movie and often I would find that frustrating. Mm. If I were reading a book or something and they have one of those devices where people are having a conversation, but they're not really having the same conversation. Mm. They're not really listening to each other and therefore they're not really talking to each other. It would frustrate me. But the way that this movie presents it, it's like I'm charmed 100% of the way by this movie for mm-hmm. some reason. I don't know what it is, but it just yeah. has a quality to and it. I guess it's probably a combination of factors. I think it's just super pleasant to watch. It's a fu- it's fun exactly. the whole way through. And you know what I also find sometimes when people are really like mocking and and stuff like that, sometimes I can find that tiresome and they're all kind of making fun of him this whole time and being on opposite sides. Yeah. So sometimes I can find that kind of tiresome, but I don't nope. don't really hate it. This, this one gets away with it because yeah. it's it's just so fun to watch. Um I have a note here because there's, there's one point he goes, I'm not sure what kind of records place it is. It's not when he's at the library, but he ends up finding the pictures of their terrible crop yield. I think he goes to the guy, the photographer who had the, the chemist. Okay. Um, he, he goes to his dark room. I think he sneaks into his place. And looks at his negatives and yeah. stuff. So for a narrative device, Howie suddenly does a lot of speaking out loud. And he's like, their crops failed. <laughs> Sacrifice. And he's saying all this stuff, like just wrapping up all these clues that he's seeing. But he he realizes that they didn't have this good crop yield that they claim to have had. And he starts to suspect that they're going to sacrifice someone in order to, you know, improve their chances of 
of growing crops, right? Mm-hmm. Then though, he does go to the library. And he's looking yeah, up. And he's reading. There's just an old lady sitting beside him also reading. Yeah. And he's looking up old May Day festival stuff. He learns all about it, how there's, you know, someone dresses as a hobby horse and, you know, they make the symbol of the sun. And sometimes they really do uh, an actual sacrifice of a living person. And there's always someone who's punched the fool. And he's almost like a gesture type. And you're right. He's like, this is madness. Surely they're not this mad. Then he's basically like, this is all so stupid. And the lady's right beside him. And it's like, that's her culture. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? One thing about him, he cannot be shaken in what he thinks. Yeah. So he's not like, oh my God, I'm surrounded by a thousand people who think I'm wrong. Maybe I am. He's like, these thousand people are completely crazy. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's amazing. If the religion that's got it right is his Everything's coming up Howie upstairs. Yeah. Because they're gonna he's like the best the most faithful. He right? certainly is. Absolutely. The pearly gates are gonna open wide for him. <laughs> yeah. The movie's pretty much off to the races now because kind of some of the secrets are out. And so the next thing he tries to go to his plane so he can go home and, <laughs> and bring a bunch more coppers with, yeah. with him. And he tells everybody that. He's like, You guys are in big trouble because I'm gonna go to my plane. Come back with way more police officers. And as he's getting the dinghy out to the plane, all the townsfolk like raised from yes. behind a wall. And he doesn't see any of that. Doesn't see any of them. Yeah. And they've got this, some really creepy masks on. Mm-hmm. Like it was making me think of the strangers. Get out. It's making me think Pet Cemetery. Yes. And it almost made me think actually Donnie Darko too. Because mm. they were all kind of animal masks. They were all, yep. It's probably the cre- one of the creepier parts in the movie. Mm-hmm. But then like he looks over and they all drop down. He doesn't see any of them. So it's still very playful, but he gets out to his plane and he can't get it going. And then he has to say like, bring the dinghy back. Well, and he tries to start it by hand. Yeah. I I don't know if that's a way to just test it. By pushing the propeller. Like that would be really scary. Well, I don't know shit about planes. Maybe that's, maybe that's a way to test it. And, and honestly, maybe some planes do work like that, but it just seemed to me like, don't put your hand near that. No, you're you're thinking like, uh, don't dislodge that thing from the snowblower. Yeah, Yeah, as a Canadian example. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, yeah, he's like, hey, this plane won't go. And this snarky dinghy driver, the harbor master, is like, oh, well, this guy can uh, row you over to the mainland. It'll take him a week. (laughs) (laughs) So, again, they're all laughing at him. (laughs) Poor fucking Howie. He's He's like, fuck it. I'll do it myself. Yeah. He goes back to the island and he has that weird cat and mouse With the big guy who's dressed up like the hobby horse. Yes, who's like clacking the hobby horse's jaws and he's like (laughs) chasing after him. Yeah, it's like like Scooby-Doo. Definitely. He sees him down this hallway and he runs and then he's down Mm -hmm. another hallway. (laughs) That was kind of a funny little diversion. And then he he basically tells them, you know, I'm going to search every house on this damn island. And it it shows this is a great montage because he's like going in people's houses and they're like, hey, you can't come in here. And he's like, yes, I can. I'm a police (laughs) officer. But it shows him literally like looking behind drapes. Yes, he's just looking around houses. (laughs) Like every house. In town? Yeah. I'm like the fact that that's he even thinks that that's a reasonable idea. And this is where another remember the little girl falls out of the closet. And she laughs at him, too. Exactly. The whole town's just laughing at him. And he goes to one, and there's, like, a child's bed, and there are dolls, and they're having sex, the dolls. And he's like, oh, God, no! He pushes them away. More sex. Do do you remember, though, that he knocked them over? He can't stand it. He's got to knock that down. And 
it there and it it devolves into just some very funny stuff because eventually the montage is him being like what's this what's that what's this so he's in the bakery and he's like what is this and they're like the most ornate bread art you've ever seen and they have the yeah. sun god on it yes he's like what is that and then he goes to this old guy and he's like and what's this and in his closet is his costume and he's, he's like, like well oh, this is my costume it's my salmon costume yeah oh oh but he goes into the at one point during his search he goes to a place where there's coffins so i guess the yes. morticianer and he opens one that looks child-sized it's empty he opens another one that looks child-sized and in it is a very small old woman yeah who ha- has a bloody stump of a oh, hand i didn't even make that connection she has a bloody stump of a where and, her and hand she would had have been coins on her eyes and she had coins on her eyes so <laughs> it's a it's a good montage but understandably he grows tired and, and goes he goes to get nap. some rest in his room at the tavern yeah so he, he says you know what willow and mcgregor i don't want any of your fucking funny business i'm going up to rest for 30 minutes and i wish not to be disturbed <laughs> But he does so with his door open. Leaves it open. Yeah, yeah. He needed a draft. And they start whispering and they're like, this will put him to sleep for sure. This might put him to sleep for seven days, blah, blah, blah. And what it is, it's that woman, as I know, because you just helped me make the connection. It's that woman's hand on a stand. Lit like candles. With the the fingers. fingers lit like candles. And the whole time, his eyes are open, but he's pretending to be asleep. So he's like a little kid who <laughs> yeah, wants to get carried say, to bed. Definitely. I don't feel like he's doing a great job of acting asleep. <laughs> oh. And then McGregor is like, well, Willow, you better go down to the festival. I'm going to put on my fool costume, my punch costume, and whatever this hand was supposed to do, I don't know, smoke and put him to sleep. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be like, yeah, like burning incense that like put something into the air that's going to keep Gives him the vapors. It does nothing. He knocks it down and then he just goes and beats the shit out of McGregor. <laughs> he knocks him out, ties him up, steals his costume because it's time for a little bit of social stealth. Which <laughs> I thought to myself, the last thing I would ever try to impersonate someone during is a ritual. <laughs> like where there's stuff that's expected that's, that's of you. That's a good point. Yeah. And it's like, because it would be so, like, imagine. Having been to Catholic church services, which we both you have. You had to just fake it with no knowledge. Yeah, imagine Boy. someone who doesn't know what to do. No kid. Well, he has a lot of self-belief, Howie. <laughs> but you know what? Okay. Christopher Lee helps him out. So first of all, Christopher Lee is dressed as a woman. He looks absolutely horrifying. He looks like Cher. His face is gray. His hair is black and long. He does look like Cher, but like way <laughs> oh, worse. Oh, except that Cher is, was stunningly beautiful <laughs> in the 70s. Yeah. And this is Christopher Lee in, in a gray, dead-looking face with Cher hair. Yeah. Right? And he's like prancing and dancing around. He looks very happy. But my favorite part, Detective Howie's just kind of walking. Yeah, in this so bad. In this crazy costume. It's got this ugly face and then it's got that big hump on his back and he's in a clown costume and someone starts really badly chewing him out for his dancing but christopher like, lee does he's like you call that dancing yeah he's like mcgregor dance man use your bladder he's, he's like cut a rug bitch yeah and he's yeah you call that dancing oh you must have been getting drunk in your own <laughs> bar and they're just like oh it was just so funny so then how he has to like dance and i'm sure it was like a very not detective i'm sure, I'm sure he's do. never danced a single step in his life <laughs> oh i thought that was amazing he grew up in the foot footloose town where you can't dance well and he was happy about it <laughs> he probably would have been the uh the minister and the girls start like play fighting with him and like presenting their oh, butts and that's willow's dad is as far as she is oh supposed god to know. i didn't even think about that jesus and Christ. she's like "Ooh, here's my butt <laughs> jeez 
they sacrifice a huge cask of ale to the sea. Yes, yes. Right? That was cool. And then they reveal up on the mountaintop Rowan to be sacrificed. And Howie's basically like, holy shit, there she is. And he just runs up there because he's like, holy shit, I found her. And it's like, what are you doing, McGregor? And he punches the guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was a guy standing beside Rowan. And he runs up there and they still think it's their friend. And he just knocks him out. Oh, and then they end up running away through this cave. Yeah, he unties her and says, don't worry, I'm I'm police. I'm going to get you out of here. And she's like, oh, Mr. Police. What yeah. does she say? She says, do you know what they're going to do to me? Yeah. <laughs> I don't like it here. I don't she's, like it here. Yeah, like, yeah, no shit. And they run through this tunnel. To some, like, cool guitar riffs. Yeah, some super, you know what I thought? JC Superstar. Yeah. Some, some just, like, fuzzy 70s guitar yeah. licks and <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, for sure. And then when they get out there, somehow Summer Isle is already there. And at the top, and I think that he more or less said something to Rowan about like, why'd you bring me through such a difficult thing? <laughs> yeah, this is the hardest way we could have run away, right? And here, here the wheels come off. Everything's out in the open yeah. now because Rowan runs up to Summer Isle. And said, did I do a good job? And he gives her a big hug. And he's like, you did beautifully, Rowan, blah, blah, blah. Like he obviously knows her super well. And then she goes up to her mom and her mom's like, okay, good job. Let's go. And they just leave. They leave. Yeah. And Summer Isle says, welcome, fool. You've come of your own free will to the appointed place. And he just sees that. And, and Summer Isle does at one point say, he's like, we've controlled your every thought and your every action since you got here, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. It's mm-hmm. like they, he performed in such a predictable way that they are always were kind of one step ahead of him. And there's like, besides Summer Isle, the three, it seems like kind of like leaders of the community or something are these like three beautiful blondes. Cause there's, yes. there's Willow, there's the school teacher and there's the woman who had worked at the records place. The woman that he had walked, right. walked in on when she was like in the tub and like, and he was like, Oh, sorry. St- stunningly beautiful women all. Yeah. So he basically says that in order to avoid uh, having their crops fail again, they needed to provide a worthy sacrifice. He said, animals are fine. A child's even better, but not nearly as good as the right kind of adult. And the right kind of adult was someone sent by the king, they said. and um, It was someone with the power of a king because he okay, represented so he the law. he represented the law and he's a virgin. He's a virgin. And also that he came of his free will. Yeah. Which he definitely did. They gave him every chance. He was pushy about it, frankly. Yeah. Right? And she says, one of the women says, you know, you've accepted the, you've accepted the role of king for a day and who but a fool would do that. Mm-hmm. And it's also cool. Like they're speaking in such awesome, really cool seeming ways. Yeah. You know what? You and I love ritual when it comes I to our horror right. movies. I we suppose. love it. Yeah. It just seems so like otherworldly and so cool. Oh, and do you know what I was thinking while watching this movie as well? Is that within horror, um, the Christian church is usually like almighty, right? Mm-hmm. Thinking about like The Exorcist or about any of those like ghost movies or demon movies where in order to figure something out or maybe win the battle or whatever, yeah. you need to employ Christian principles. That's and a great in point. this horror movie, it's flipped on its head. That's a great point, because in order to dispel something that is not behaving according to the laws of science, like a ghost, then you need to go and access, you know, the ancient Mm. knowledge of the religion Mm. to find a way to banish it, right? And this one, you're right. It's like the opposite, because that's one of the reasons he was such a good candidate for them. And they say so. She tells him, you'll undergo a rebirth, but it won't be you who's reborn again. It'll be our crops. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
which is like pretty scary. Um, he says, I'm a Christian. I believe in resurrection, so oh. I will live again, not your damned apples. And then when, when Christopher Lee says like, oh, well, then we're, we've given you a rare gift. That was awesome. That is good for believing what you do. We confer upon you a rare gift these days. A martyr's death. You will not only have life eternal, but you will sit with the saints among the elect. Yeah. And it was like, whoa, how cool is that? Oh, so so sinister, so cool. And I think that how he starts to kind of get really scared. And he's like, basically, can't you see your gods aren't real? This is all fake. He appeals to science. Your strains are the things that failed. Those fruits aren't meant to be grown here. He's basically trying to reflect to them. And Summer Isle then says, that won't happen. I know that won't happen because of the sacrifice. So it's like, clearly, he is all in on the religion side too, right? So that's where the, it's just an interesting kind of parallel there for Summer Isle within his own thinking. He's also in front of the whole town. At that point. Good point. So maybe there's That's true. a degree of performance. He could be doing some kind of rousing of everyone. and Well, and also, like, they need to think I believe as much as they do. That's right. I think that Howie's performance here is great because... Me too. Like, the panic, I feel like, really comes across. And he's acting so unlike himself from the rest of what we've seen from yeah, him in the right movie. Yeah, you're right about that. You're right. Because he... You know what? I have a note later. He's very... Makes me think of, like, stiff upper lip. Not big on showing emotion, mm-hmm. not big on losing control, not big on giving in to any of his desires. And yeah. You know, very here, stoic. He's, he's desperately appealing to everyone around him and everyone is so unmoved. Yeah. They're like smiling at him. It's, it's must be ridiculous, Ooh, right? Yeah. And he's begging them at one point, think, think about what you're doing. And I was wondering if like there was something me. there. Yep. That's true. Like you're willing to commit murder. But I was wondering if there was something there to... He's trying to appeal to them to be rational instead of just zealots of whatever kind of religion even they're trying to follow. Think, think about it, mm-hmm. right? Does it make any right. sense, you know? And I just thought that was really cool. There was some kind of double speak going on there. And they bring him up a hill and they reveal the wicker man. He's like, come. It is time to keep your appointment with the wicker man. With the wicker and then man. bring him up and like... Okay, the Wicker Man is huge. Yeah. It's made out of like sticks. It's got pods for animals in it. Like it must have taken them all year to build. It was amazing. And he's doing his big kind of almost overacting there. And he's like, oh God, oh Jesus Christ. (laughs) And like that line is stuck with me forever because of the delivery. You say it it to me all the time. (laughs) Yeah, now you know what it means. (laughs) Yeah, you say, oh Jesus Christ about things all the time. We see the Wicker Man, and it's just, it's, it's very scary looking. And they walk him up, they lock him in, they light it on fire. Oh, and he's just like on and on, <sighs> talking to them, talking to them. Poor guy. And they're singing over him. That's the thing. They're singing, and it's, you can see it plain as day that they really believe what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. They're happy as can be. They're like moving their, swinging their arms and singing this song and they look like pleased as punch. Like <laughs> this is actually a joyous celebration to them and it's not registering for them in the same way that it does for us as that it was a murder, mm-hmm. right? It's like, this is a good thing, mm-hmm. a very, very good thing, right? And the only thing, the right thing. True, yeah, there was no other choice basically and Howie unsurprisingly sticks to his convictions 
as the smoke is like pouring into his face and as the flames are kind of climbing higher and higher, he was a very, very disciplined man, clearly. And he, he shouts out, Desire shall fail, and ye shall all die. Accursed! Like, it's really, really cool. Like, the, the lines delivered in the last, very last bits of the movie, they really hit home. I think they sound so cool. Accursed. It's amazing. And how he's also kind of singing back at them. You know, he's singing some kind of hymns. Mm. I think it was basically the, um, what's the one? The Shadow of Death one. The one walk through the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> yeah, by Coolio. <laughs> okay, yeah, we Gangsters, got it. Gangster's Paradise. <laughs> yeah, he's like, we've been spending most of our lives. <laughs> God, yeah, it was. It was Gangster's Paradise. Living in a gangster's paradise. <laughs> This movie was way ahead of its time. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it that's was amazing. Visionary. <laughs> <sighs> um Yeah, so what what did you think of the kind of final scenes where the the wicker man's burning, the group of people are singing, how he's still trying to basically evangelize them or I think he's more so trying to appeal to God to kind of treat him well as I, he dies, Yeah, right? I think at that point he's to my mind, he's done talking with them. Right. And I think he's just communing with God at that point. Yeah. And that's where, he, is that where he says his name is? He says his full name. Yeah. Neil. Neil Howie. And he basically says like, this person's coming to you. You know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. oh, so sad. Uh, definitely so sad. But the idea that you would have such a strong faith in those final moments would be like, you'd be the luckiest person to be in that wicker man because you think that you're going to. Fair enough. You're going where you are supposed to be. And it was clearly some form of comfort to him. Oh, Even certainly. though the flames were coming to get him. Yeah, that's what I mean, is that in that absolutely horrible situation, he has firmly held beliefs that give him comfort. Yeah, it, like almost as if he wasn't alone inside of the mm-hmm. Wicker Man. You know what I mean? He mm-hmm. had pigs, he had goats, but he also like, he, he basically was, according to his thinking, he was walking beside God, basically, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought I thought it was really cool. My favorite part of the whole thing, and I I have seen this mentioned by many people, is just the final shot where the flames, like the wicker man gives into the flames and the head falls off and it reveals that shot of the sun and they zoom in on the sun like, oh, that was so cool. Yeah. And they had one shot to get it. One yeah, chance. Yeah, because they would have just built that. Yeah. And yeah. they weren't building it again. Yeah. It was amazing. So to wrap up, did you like this movie? Loved it. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I really did. First time I watched it. Obviously, it's famous and it's very well known. Did it play out the way you were expecting it to? Did anything about it kind of surprise you? I think all I really knew about it was that the end would see our protagonist inside the Wicker Man. Okay, yeah. But I I guess I was surprised by how much sex was in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what I found? There was a lot of sex in it, but it wasn't in the way that horror can go, where it wasn't scuzzy or no. I didn't think it gross was yucky. feeling. It, it seemed, wasn't. It was. Char- it was almost charming it in its own quite way. Joyful. Yeah. Nobody really treated it like it was a big thing. Yeah. The women liked to be naked. They were naked. You yeah. know, there wasn't like a male gaze thing. Yeah. It didn't seem um, like lecherous or leery. Yes, exactly, or voyeuristic or no. anything. You know what I mean? So I agree with that. And I thought just like, this is a charming movie somehow. 
Given oh, the yeah. subject matter, it's a little confusing, but I think it is. I know it almost feels like the kind of movie that I would watch in mixed company, but yeah. I, I know I shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I know. A, a few people might have a more adverse reaction to some of the stuff than us. So who do you think are the real bad people in this movie? Um, good question. I, I guess I don't really think that anyone's that bad. Fair enough. You can see that they all had a, um, a worthy intention anyway. It's just, it's a culture clash. It is. And that's, again, what folk horror is all about, mm-hmm. right? One thing that I had in my own head, and this is just my own kind of moral construct thing, is that I probably would have thought that the pagans were the good guys mm-hmm. had they stopped just ahead of, of human sacrifice. Him. Yes. Right? Because then it's like he's imposing on them. Yes. He's telling them their way of living is, is he's, wrong. He's colonizing. You know? Yeah. If it weren't for the loss of life of one person, then I would really see that the pagans were just doing their own thing, trying to live their life. Me too. Right? Yep. But, you know, you shouldn't kill people. But that's just me talking. Hey. Yeah, that's your own. Don't put that shit Sorry on me, Sorry to put man. it on other people. Yeah, yeah, that's your own moral construct. <laughs> Keep that to yourself. I wanted to talk about, so obviously a, a big part of this and a lot of other folk horror movies is just kind of a fear of the unknown, a mm. fear of something very much unlike yourself or almost like a Eurocentrism too. Mm. You know, that other cultures, even the word pagan is almost pejorative sounding mm. to my ear. Because it's almost used in a way that it's like meant to scare people. Mm. You know what I mean? A pagan religion. In these kind of contexts, it's something to kind of be feared almost. And I don't know if every movie is trying to kind of bring that across when they're using it. Or if we're supposed to fear these people outright. I, I don't really think we were. No, me either. I don't find any of them scary. Even the creepy ones. Well, is this a scary movie? Uh, good question. I, at first, was thinking to myself i don't know if this is a horror movie but as it goes on there's enough like genre specific imagery to me that i'm like yeah this is full horror movie like uh probably the dead hair in the coffin yep the masks yeah the the masks the like chopping off of the head during even though it was fake but during the uh ritual that kind of thing and honestly even the girl falling out of the closet with the blood trickle down her cheek even and then obviously the end with the of course. actual like murder. Yeah, I think that it firmly belongs in the horror genre. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a point in the movie where I was scared. There yeah. were a few parts where I was uneasy. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it came down to the music. There would be sometimes there was some like discordant notes mm-hmm. that just kind of set you on edge. Mm-hmm. And they would be accompanying obviously an unsettling scene too. So there were a couple of times I was uncomfortable, but. I, I certainly wasn't scared, but I absolutely loved watching this movie again, and, and I think it's great. I had read online that Christopher Lee has said that this is his best film and his yeah. best performance, and I'm like, damn, because he's been in some cool stuff. I love, I love hearing that from actors. So one last point I wanted to talk about. Do you think that this film is a little bit touching on some kind of English attitudes, some British attitudes, in terms of like sexual conservatism and like I mentioned earlier, the stiff upper lip thing, stoicism, control, discipline. Do you think it's kind of giving a sideways glance at that? Presenting Howie as a, a manifestation too far 
of that kind of attitude? What Does that hit home with you at all? I was wondering about it. I definitely think it could. Like, I can't say I know enough about kind of like English culture to say, but I could say like uh, in terms of Western culture, and as we've said, the kind of puritanical Christian mm-hmm. um, underpinnings of a lot of our um, kind of Western habits and views on sex and that kind of thing. I can say that, yeah, I think that it's casting a critical eye on that. Yeah. Yeah, I I just thought it was interesting because no one could understand why Howie was the way he was. Yeah, like, loosen up, man. Right? Like, yeah, you can make a big deal about people having sex or you could not. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. you know, see who is happier, see who treats sex in a more healthy way. Like, it was just interesting. Uh, Yeah, and the research, like we say, kind of bears that out. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking mainly about sex, but the... The idea that abstinence only sex education right. leads to really high rates of teen pregnancy. You know, like like you say, you can just get over it and make sex not a big deal and see how that fits. And kind of what we've seen, things would probably be better if we did. Right. Or there certainly would be or less. Or by many metrics, at least. Yeah. Okay. Well, any final thoughts on this movie, Jenna? Big fan. Very easy segues into some really interesting mental health topics. It sure did. I was surprised. And as usual, you know, we're very interested in hearing any dissenting opinions. And, Certainly. You know, and we wouldn't want to oversimplify any of these things. Right. Um, but in terms of the way that it was represented in the movie, it was very much just a head to head, two different religions and one person who couldn't unpack his thinking enough to understand anyone else's point of view even a little bit. Right. So I, I think it is... Not surprising that it came up in that way. Yes. So we would be forever in your debt if you would follow us on social media, Instagram at the Fear Response Podcast. And we'd absolutely love to hear from you guys too at our email address, thefearresponsepodcast at gmail.com. That would be really great to hear anyone else's opinion on this movie or of things that have come up in this episode. And we've got some really exciting things lined up for you guys. We've got a very exciting guest episode mm-hmm. coming up that we're very, very excited about. And also to offset kind of our movie episodes, we're also going to be discussing one of our favorite recent horror shows, Midnight Mass from Mike Flanagan for some shorter episodes. So we're very much looking forward to both of those things. Yeah, we're hoping to keep October pretty spooky. So we're hoping to <laughs> yeah. kind of up the amount of content that we can um, turn out in that month. And we're, yeah, we're very excited about what we've got coming up and we hope you keep listening and really appreciate you listening all to the all the way to the end yeah and thank you and goodbye yes take care everybody one time i have